Good morning. It's an honor and privilege to stand before you as your servant in the Word of God today. Would you kindly, and as being a blessed congregation, open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3. And I feel I'm a bit of an echo. Is that true, or is it just where I'm standing? Just where I'm standing? Okay. So I might be about down there later on, so don't be weirded out or anything. Uh, how many of you just really appreciate the music this morning and the lyrics that went along with that? Yeah, it's a blessing. Um, those of you who serve here and practice and prepare, and God's used your talents and uh, abilities to help us to worship through music, it's, um, it's, it's definitely a blessing to, to all of us. So thank you, and I think I speak for all of us in that way. Uh, the music is incredible. All creations should sing uh, of the greatness of our God. And the Psalms are full of that. And so should every congregation. So should every person. Be full of praise for God, for who He is, and what He's done. I love, come now fount. I love the truths that are represented in that song. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind this wandering fleshly heart to thee. I am so incredibly prone to wander. And I feel it. And maybe you do too. I'm, I am that one who's prone to leave the God I love. But can we now say, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it? And Lord, would you be so gracious to use your servant this morning as we open up your word, that your people would be blessed and you would be honored. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I trust that you have your Bibles open to Psalm chapter 3, because I do not yet. So as you're there, profoundly enough, chapter 3 comes after chapter... Which comes after chapter... So the reason I chose Psalm chapter 3 was because we've already heard Psalm chapter... And Psalm chapter... So it's pretty profound, but that's how we get there today. And, and I, I, a little bit of, of silliness, but I did think it was appropriate for me to do that because of, of the order that the men were going through. Then I found out that uh, Ken and Josh were going to be pre- preaching out of other verses. So I'm like, oh, they went that. So next time I'm up, it's Psalm 97. <laughs> but that all being set aside for later, we do want to turn our attention to this psalm. Let's, let's um, read that psalm together then. And then discuss it. Psalm chapter 3. Uh, it's entitled in your Bibles to begin with, maybe in, in dark, bold letters, uh, something to the nature of morning prayer of, of trust in God. Something of that nature you see there, bold letters, maybe a heading of that nature. The actual first verse of the psalm then begins after that, because you should have in maybe a little bit smaller type, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Do you all have that? Okay, that's actually verse 1 in the Hebrew. 
Okay, that's where it starts. That's the, that's the God-given word. It's not just an introduction. That's a God-given word to you and me today, preserved through the ages, to understand the setting of the psalm. A psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. And I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. Let's pray. Father, this, your word, your perfect preserved word to promote a greater knowledge of you, to promote a greater knowledge of us, to promote a greater awareness and need of Christ, our Redeemer, and to promote a direction for our lives. In times of hostility, of difficulty, of trial, of temptations, when wickedness and those who exercise it are before us. And may we learn much from David this morning, see much of you, and humble ourselves in the future as we see the truth here for your glory and the goodness of your people. Amen. Psalm chapter 3 is actually, you could potentially say, because I don't know if you know this or not, but the numbers that say chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, those aren't necessarily completely inspired necessarily, but we do know that chapter 1 and chapter 2 work together as Pastor Chris and Pastor Dale shared us as an introduction to the Psalms. Chapter 3 then begins maybe to the, the core of it or the first psalm of the first book of five books of psalms. Did you get that? Don't worry. But what you and I should put effort to is knowing the psalms because I do believe there's much for us to identify with the psalmist about. There is a song for each and every one of us to sing probably each and every day of our lives. I believe that to be the case. I I believe that in one part because David is in this psalm writing a very specific time in his life which is a big heartthrob for him, a big difficulty, a big trial. And I would suggest that there are probably times in your life that you will relate, but you won't necessarily have an Absalom. You might have something else. Some other hostility that rises before you or your kin, that would make you to stop and think, consider the significance of how 
David dealt with the hostilities in his life that would help you deal with the hostilities in your life. And I think that the reason we all see in this psalm the generalities of what David was going through and not the specificities is because I think the song is supposed to be sung by his people. Now, how many of you consider yourself uh, a singer? Nobody. Anybody a vocalist? Let's put it in a better term. Any vocalists here? Really? No one likes to sing. But how many of you like to sing to yourself? How many of you sing in the car when the windows are up? Uh, how many sing in the bathtub? Shower. Um, anybody here just really find themselves in the Psalms a lot and singing those songs? Yeah, and, and they are a great place for us to go to, to do that. And I believe that the generalities of the psalm will entice us here and throughout. And David would invite us. In fact, it's it is interesting that it's said of this, this psalm that uh, it was written in general terms, as many of them are, uh, so that the people, the nation of Israel, would be able to use them at different times. Some psalms were used to, um, to prepare for worship. And they would sing the psalms as they would head towards the temple. And they, they would always to, to, to go to the temple, to go to worship God. And they would sing those to prepare their hearts. This psalm, it said that they would often sing as they were going to battle. And you can see some of the things there. And maybe the battle lines would pull that out. Like take care of my enemy type of conversation. Like give them a right hook and you know, knock their teeth out. Uh, or, is that a, or is that a jab? I don't know. But the, the ideas there might bring you to that understanding. But also, you see the anxiousness of battle in this psalm. can't imagine, with those of you who sit here, how you served our country through the military, and as you prepared for battle, what you might have gone through in your heart and mind as you approached that day of battle and that moment. That must have been a terrifying moment. As, as I think the psalm brings out here. The psalm was written in general terms, but does come out of a specific time period in in David's life. A time when it was a tremendous ordeal for him. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. He's fleeing from his son. Now, one of the criticisms that David gets a lot of times is the way that he dealt with his family or we could say how he didn't deal with his family and the problems that arose in his lifetime. The choices that he made. And so we, we understand if we will turn to the recorded history of the problems that David had with Absalom. So, would you take a journey with me back? To Second Samuel, would you kindly, in your Bibles, hold your place in chapter three, Psalm chapter three, and go back, and let's catch ourselves up a, a little bit in Second Samuel as it relates to David and his life. Now, I am very much limited to one sermon, although Josh, you did mention that you didn't know if you're preaching next week or not. So maybe we could have a part two. I, I don't know. We'll have to talk to the powers that be. But for today, though. If we look to um, 2 Samuel, well, let's catch ourselves up with a little bit of, of David. Help build um, on the introduction a little bit so that we can 
and go further in understanding some of the setting, at least in David's mind, although their general terms are used in the psalm, we'll understand a little bit more about what he's dealing with. In the first place, if we go to 2 Samuel a chapter, um, let's go to chapter 12, and let's see there, um, this is a, a place where, where we find that David has sinned, he has sinned with uh, a particular woman whose name is Bathsheba, I, I do that to make sure that we're engaged, so I pardon, pardon me if that's not um, copacetic, but it's helpful for me, so uh, thank you for helping me. So, in chapter 12, we find um, Nathan, who is a prophet, who goes to, to David to confront him on his sin. David uh, understands that he sinned as Nathan has approached him. And um, I want you to hear in verse 9, though, um, what is stated in regards to, to David and as the outcome. There is a question in verse 9. Why have you despised the word? Again, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in His sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He has tried to cover his sin. It did not work. And so he um, struck down Uriah in battle by putting him in a position to die. Again in verse 9, "...and taken his wife for your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon." So that's what he's talking about. Through that battle, you allowed this man to die. You are guilty. His blood is on your hands." This is King David. This is the man after God's heart. This is the, the man who was, who was anointed by... Um, who was he anointed by? Samuel, who we're reading right now. And, and, and he, was, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel, God's chosen one, because Saul, the first king, did not obey God. Remember? Now we have David doing what? Not obeying God. It's a really interesting, I wish we could do more of developing this before we went to Psalm 3, but I just want you to see and feel the tension going on here. We have the second chosen king uh, of God, David, and he's being called out on the carpet for his sin. Now therefore, verse 10, the sword, the sword shall never depart from your house. Now keep in mind the sword, what it represents. It represents conflict. Whenever a sword is in its... its what do they call that thing you put it in? Good. Sheath. Whenever it's in the sheath, what do we have? Peace. It's like a police officer. Praise the Lord for our police officers. Yes? yes. Whenever the peacekeeper has his... In his holster, there is... When it's drawn, there is problem. You can label it what you want. When the sword is in the... There's peace. When it's drawn, there's war, trouble, conflict, hostility. And so what, what Nathan is communicating, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised... What's that pronoun, young people, in that verse? What's that? Let me see it. Two-letter word. Starts with an M, ends in an E. Me. Yes. And, and it's a capital what? Capital M. And that's referring back to who? 
referring back to God, capital M. So what Nathan is speaking for God and saying to him, because you have despised me. Remember, I thought we were talking about Bathsheba and Uriah. In your sin against others, you sinned against me, David. And the sword will not depart from your what? House. Brick and mortar? Two by fours? No. Family. You've taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold... I will raise up evil against you from your own, what's that word? Household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives. Man, this is huge. In broad daylight. This is a prophetic, this is a promise of God. What God will allow sinful son Absalom to do in the future because He's going to let them go the way of their own heart. He's going to allow them to practice wickedness. Indeed, you did it in secret. You did it secretly. But I will do this. I will do this thing before all Israel. And under the sun. It will be public for all to see. Verse 13, though. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned. I sinned against the Lord. Do you see how you notice that? You see, he related it first to the capital M, E above. I sinned against the Lord. That doesn't negate his sin against Uriah. That doesn't negate his sin against Bathsheba. That doesn't negate his sin against the people. That doesn't negate his sin against his son. For the pattern that he set. The Lord has also taken away your your sin. Nathan said to David, You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the... What's that word? Enemies. Wow! Fantastic. I'm so glad you're here. Keep it up. It's your enemies. Absolutely. Now notice that's, that's many enemies, right? That's going to go with our psalm, okay? Keep that in mind. And if I forget, remind me, okay? The enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born to you shall, shall die, shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. He did his service and he left. So that's, I want you to see that backdrop to what's going to happen because as we move forward... In this, in this Second Samuel um, history of what occurred, well, let me just tell you in, bre- in brevity, what's going to happen is that 
David, David loses his son that dies that Bathsheba bears. He's given another son, Solomon. We have the sons grow up. We have, we have a conflict that occurs between um, two brothers. Um, well, actually, a brother and a sister. A sister is abused by a brother. David does nothing about it. Absalom decides to do something about it. He avenges his sister, and he kills his brother. And we have this separation between David and his son Absalom. That, that's it in the short, there's a bunch there to read. Please, if you have time to read that. But we find now, David will not have contact with Absalom. And it just, in, in modern day terms, it ticks him off. He already has contempt for his dad by the example he's led, by not dealing with his sister's shame and his brother's sin. And we find that Absalom is very, very upset. We find in chapter 13... Sorry, I'm, I'm fussing with these chords. So, we find in chapter 13 that um, he's trying to get back to David, it says in verse twenty that Absalom, um, her brother said to her, oh, wait a minute, let, me, "Let me go to verse um, twenty-one." Now, now, when King David heard of all the matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Ammon either good or bad, for Absalom hated Ammon because he had violated his sister. So that kind of gives you that the angriness of Ammon in the in the past. And so, what we have moving forward is how he responds to this. And Absalom is, a, is separated from David. He's allowed to come back, but David won't have any communications with him. All right? And so, what he begins to do then in chapter 15, jumping a lot, but chapter 15, we have what's entitled, maybe in your Bibles, is Absalom's Conspiracy. Now, it came about. After this, the Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. Absalom used, used to rise early in the, and stand before or beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a suit or a complaint or a problem that would go before the king, all right, To come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. In other words, he's saying is, King's not going to take you. you got no place here. But Absalom is lifting them up. What he's doing is he's stealing their hearts. David doesn't want you. you got no place here. I'll take care of you. So he's stealing their hearts. He's, he's taking over the, the people by way, of, by way of this effort to tell them something that is not true. He would say in verse 4, Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me and I would give him justice. See the big word there? See the big word? I. 
would give them justice. And so what we see is, is he is seeking to take over the kingdom by taking over one heart at a time. And actually would be through exponential growth as the word would get out. Verse 5 says, And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. That's, that's getting subservient from other people and him accepting the place of the king. This is, this is a takeover. This is a coup. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Alright, so this is this is the backdrop for what's what's going on as as the, the, the hearts of the people are changing and turning away from David and being turned to, to Absalom. Now it came about, verse 7, at the end of 40 years, that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I was living in Geshur of Aram, saying, If the Lord shall indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. The king said to him, Go, go in peace. So he rose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout the, all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom, then you shall say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Is that worship? I don't think so. I think that's a coup. It's a takeover. Then 200 men went with Absalom from Jerusalem, who were invited and went innocently, and they did not know anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel and Gilonite, David's counselor from his city of Gilo, while he was offering the sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Okay, that's the setting. Do you understand the setting now? They continue to increase with Absalom, and if they're, if they're with Absalom, they're not with David. That, that's the point. I, I just want you to get that background. I'm sorry, who is Absalom? His son. Okay, you don't have to be a parent to get this, because it could be a sibling, it could be a best friend. David's son has turned completely against him. He's going to oust him, seek his life. Look, when my kids get in the morning, or I get up in the morning and I'm there, um, or if I come through the door at night and, I'm, you know, and I see them, and they don't like run and give me a hug and think I'm the best thing since Wonder Bread, sliced bread, I'm like discouraged. You hear what I'm saying? When I see a friend and they walk by me and don't greet me, I'm like, what? When I don't get what I, when I, don't get what I think I should get from people... I get a little upset. This is David's son. His flesh and blood who's rising up against him. This is huge. David was promised that his throne would last forever. That his son would take it. This is a heart-wrenching time for David. Not just the familiar realities 
but for the kingdom's sake, for the peace of the land. So you think about the church, one of the best things for the church is peace within her borders. That's why what Pastor Chris is doing, peacemaking course, is so essential. If you think that you've got peace covered, guess what? You probably don't. The worst thing for a church is infighting. This is infighting. We don't need someone outside the border of Israel. We've got it within. This is a problem for the kingdom of God. This is not good. Just a statement I can't get off of my mind, so I'm going to say it. The kingdom today is represented in the church, people. This is not the kingdom. It is beyond this. But it's represented today on earth in the growth of her church. And when there's hindrances and conflicts and problems within, that is exactly what Satan wants. Divide and conquer. Let nothing stand between us. We must hasten to Psalm chapter 3 and and look at this and find um, for ourselves the significance of what is offered here through the experience of David um, as a result of this hostility that he faced from his son Absalom. Psalm chapter 3. Are you there? I should have put tabs in my Bible because I'm having a hard time getting there. So, Psalm chapter... Three, again, we've got the setting, we understand what's going on. And here we see the first verse. What I would like for us to identify together is probably, we can see it in three sections. And I think the greatest thing for you and I, in order to use this later on, in times of difficulty, when there's there's a hostile in our life, when there's things that are rising up, just use the outline of the psalm. My, my goal is not necessarily for you to know everything about Absalom. I just want to give you that backdrop, but is I'd like for you and I to be able to, to work through hostility in the way that David did here. An imperfect man, um, like imperfect people here, dealing with hostility then, which people like us will deal with in time, if not now, so that we can redeem the time that we have left, despite the past, move forward in the future, in faith, in the person and the work of God. And so, in this, first, in this first effort, so let's, let's seek to think together then on how David handled hostility with holiness so that our laments, our low times in life, can be redeemed or be redemptive. So, you note-takers, any note-takers here? Three points from that direction. First being Problems. Problems. They're simple points. Problems. Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. Uh, as Pastor Matt has mentioned, even in Habakkuk, Selah is one of those words we really don't know everything about. We do know that this is a psalm, a song, as the title tells us. It's a song or psalm of David. The two are synonymous. A psalm is a song, a song is a psalm. Okay, and so this is a musical reality. There is a markings with Selah. It's a musical connotation. It, it, it might mean stop, think, consider. Best advice I ever got, I probably told you this before, was Keith, don't forget to stop, 
think? What happens when you stop? You don't when you don't stop and think. You have been there before? Have you been there before when you didn't stop and think? It's important to do both because if you if you try to keep going and think, it's it's disastrous. Stop, think, do both. Stop and no thinking is horrible. You just start studying your navel. That's no good either. Stop and think. And so I think I predominantly lean towards that. But I also believe that on the other understanding of this word, it could be the idea, action. Even to the point of celebration, response. I'd like to think that by stopping and thinking, there better be some sort of celebration somewhere. So I married the two together. Looking at this, letting those bring our devising points, we find the problems that are here. Problems. Hostility means that there's problems. And one of the things I like about David and all the psalms that he does, the many laments, this is a lamentable psalm. We could say it's a song of battle preparedness, but it's really a psalm that refers to lamenting. And the lamenting is right here in the first two verses. But every lament that has helped me has its solution, either in the very psalm or somewhere outside of that in the life of the person who is sung or in a writer of Scripture. And that Lament has the answer in this psalm as well. The problems we see here, David addresses right away. And you know what's really bad about problems? When we ignore them. Don't tell my wife that I saw that the battery was on low power before it stopped working. Alternator. She said, Keith, the the van's not running real well and it keeps flashing low power. Then the van didn't work. You know, there's a reason why there's flashes and things we see and warning signs and indications that help us to respond to the problems that are there. I like David and other psalmists because they, they're honest. You know, one of the problems we have in Christianity is we ignore things or we don't call a problem a problem. We kind of put a little icing on it and think we can slice it up when we want it. it ain't that way. Problems are problems. Call them what they are. Deal with it. How many of you like to solve problems? Okay, so all of you who didn't raise your hand then, you need to take that class with Pastor Chris. Because peacemakers seek to solve problems for the glory of God and the good of the church. You've got to solve the problems. They're there. David sees the problems. He writes it in terms like this. He states the fact that the adversaries have... What? They've increased. There's many of them. David's no fool. There's always been a problem. There's always a problem around you, but he understands that they've increased. The second thing that he sees is that that, that many are rising against him. It's not just that they exist and they're growing, but guess what they're doing? They're standing up. It's more of a problem when your enemies stand up to do something, right? I tell my boys that. If I've got to stand up to get your attention, there's a problem, right? Guys, why do I have to do that? We'll talk about that later. So, so, so David recognizes this is a problem. They're there, and they're growing, and now they've stood up. And they've done that, we understand by context, by the help of his son. What a heart-wrenching reality. Thirdly, not only are they more, and have they stood up and ready to do something, but they're saying something significant. This isn't from outside the walls of order. This is within the walls of the word of the people who know God. And they're saying about him, God has forsaken him. Why do we know that? Well, look at the words, what he says there. He says that there is, the people are speaking now, 
They're increasing, they're standing, now they're speaking, and their speech is there is no deliverance for him and God. And we could go back into 2 Samuel and see more of this. It's really quite amazing, the ousting of the king as he departs the land. But this is, this, this is the problems that are there, and David realizes it. David states what it is. He knows the hostility there. But David is not going to react by the flesh. He's going to react in faith. He's going to see the problem, know the problem, and go in faith. He is going to be the kind of person who addresses the problem, which is profitable, when hostility arises. But what he's going to do is he's going to go with it somewhere that's important. You know what's really bad is when we have problems and we just camp on them. How many of you are like a can of stewed tomatoes? Right? You get boiled up and hot. You get peeled off, ticked off, and you get stuffed away. And you just hide that stuff somewhere for just the right opportunity where you can blow up on somebody because you got all built up and you're all botanists. And as soon as somebody opens that can, you explode. And it kills everybody around you. You don't taste good, and you kill people. It's no good to hold on to problems and not seek the solution. The thing is, though, David doesn't find his solution in Facebook. David doesn't find his solution in the phone call to the bestie. You laugh and you joke, and I'm kind of being silly, but that's true. David doesn't look for someone to tell him he's right. David goes to someone who can take care of the problem. It is a problem. Why is it a problem? The king, as we will find out, David leaves Jerusalem. Absalom takes over, establishes his own thing going on. And all the things that Nathan said earlier that we read takes place. And he's out and he's away. And this is all happening. David's lost if you will, his place in Jerusalem. He's left the castle and he's got to deal with this problem. And so, we find him dealing with this problem. The psalm doesn't end in verse 2. And just to think about that, but to think of what are we going to do with this problem. And so, but you, O Lord, are a shield. A shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and He answered me from His holy mountain. Come on, Selah. Okay, now think about that for a minute. It's a great, it's a great part of the psalm. We saw the problem that David was willing to address. Now we see the praise that he puts forward. Okay, how many of you practice praise when problems arise? Good. And I think that's exactly what, what the psalmist, what David is seeking to help us to do. Rather than just stew on this problem and leave it alone, tuck it away and ignore it, let's address it, but let's start with the key. The key is God and who He is. And so what David seeks to do is identify David. Identify David's God, His, his great one. But you, O oh Lord, He has a shield he recognizes the significance of God being the protector. You know, there's lots of different names for God as being protector, right? In the Bible. Can you think of some with me? Kids, you remember some of the, the, the Psalms that we've read? You see, remember some of the terms, adults, parents, grandparents, that we see God? He is 
He is, uh, he is not only a shield, but He is what? As far as a protector. He is a, a covering. He is a, a mountain. All these things that talk about it being immovable and one you can get next to and provide, sh- he provides shelter for you. And not just comfort, but, but um, uh, some place to hide. And this is our God. But shield is a common one. David says it lots of different places. Behold, our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. Our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel, David. These are different psalms. My shield is with God. He, he is the one that holds and protects. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My rock in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. These are these ongoing places in the Psalms that talk about the, the greatness and the significance of God. And so David is practicing praise in the, in the presence of problems. And I think it's a great ingredient for us to keep in mind. Why would David do that? Why would David go to God and, and when at a time when he's lost his place as king? Well, it's God who established his kingship. It's God who promises forever kingship. Why would he not go to God who will keep him and fulfill the great Davidic covenant? Of course he would. And so he, he goes to him. And, and, and just, just to, to kind of parallel to that, you are, you are children, you aren't kings, but you're children of the king of kings. And you have your place before him because of his, his great call in your life. And he's called you there, he's going to keep you there. So who would you run to? You're in a time of trouble, but that trouble is just for a day, a season. And you, and you need to, and I need to, think about our problems in light of what? In light of eternity. Not just in time. And so we go to the one who holds us for all eternity. We go to God. He is the shield about us as he was with David and all the people. Imagine, by the way, the, 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 the people of Israel going into battle. That's in their mind. Our God is a strong defense. He is our shield. And then you move forward. And people of God can move forward in the directions God has given them in life so that they live for him properly. Not only that, he's my glory. David knew that his, his glory was, was based upon who God was, not himself. Now, you all look good. You probably smell good. You, you probably, I don't know, do good things. But where do you, where do you, try, where, where do you ascribe your glory? Is it in who you are, your family lineages? Is it the accomplishments and the tasks of life, your success in your career? Or is it the glory that God's giving you in the righteousness of Christ? Amen. Yeah, that's a good amen right there for sure. I mean, we, we've got nothing good within ourselves. God is my glory. And if I somehow think to replace that glory with who I am, how, how I deserve your respect, Absalom. I am your father. Is that an appeal? Not for the king and not for a child of God. I am a humble servant of God. I think there's a lot to be said there. We can't now in relationship to why David did leave. David was a lowly man. We ought to be lonely when we face troubles and see the glory of our greatness of our God, especially in the face of Christ, who is perfect and we are imperfect. If we, we approach our problems with the recognition that we are good and don't deserve this, will we have good resolution? I love James 4.7. I am going to take the time. James 4.7. Would you go to James 4.7? As we see this, I, I just love the constant reminders, uh, even as we as the church grow and are reminded by James, 
to keep our awareness of who we are. James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. I can't help but to think of the humility of David as he reflected upon Nathan's words that you have sinned against me and the sword will not depart from your house. How he must have internalized and understood that this is, this is because of what I've done. How I've taught my son. He looks to God to be his glory. I love it that David would say that he is the one who lifts my head up. As, as David is leaving, his, his head is covered. As he leaves the city, his, his head is covered. He's in shame. And maybe a little hiding too. And he's demoralized. I, and I, I reflect upon times with my children where you know, sometimes I'm a really good dad in discipline. Sometimes I'm really bad. And I, I hate it. I hate it. But, but, but God is a perfect Father. And, and He dips, disciplines in such a way that's perfect. And, and, then, and then in His discipline, He says, Get up. Get up. Go on. Go on. David had to go on. David had to remember that God had put him in that position for a reason. And this wasn't the end of his kingdom. By this, this was wrong. This was sinful. He had to get up and he had to go. He lifted up his head. He gave him the the great understanding of his place. And the people of Israel would sing this song because they knew they were the people of God. And the place that he had for them in the world. The church needs to rise up and remember with conflicts and problems that she has a role to fulfill. We are the commissioned. Problems will confront us. You're stirred because whatever's going on in politics. You're stirred. You're angered about the direction the world is going, and rightfully so. But your first order, and my first order, is the commission we've been given. Go, therefore, in all the world. Why do we need to go from the world? Because they're separated from God. Do you expect the world to live godly? No, you go to the world. Why? To make them disciples. Because they're not. Why do we expect the world to be like Christ? We fight to be like Christ ourselves. Go to the world. Make them disciples. And when you do, you're going to baptize them. They're going to die in their sins before you and raise the newness in life. They're going to carry on the Lord's Supper. And then, lo, they still got to be taught. They're still going to be dastardly. They're still going to live in the flesh. They got to teach them to do opposite. The battle of the flesh has just begun. This is the, the significance of, of knowing our place and where we're at and the need to be commissioned for the great gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where we need to go. I, I would love to address our time with a look at Ephesians 6 just to see how uh, the church and even all of God's people through all time have to be equipped and ready for the battle. But it's great that after you get all the, the armor on, what do you do? 
pray. This is such a crucial reality. We're always dependent upon the Lord. And that's where the peace came from. The problems were there. Definitely were there. The praise had to come in order for David to get his mind in the right place so that he could be at peace. That's our third word. Number three, peace. Peace came. And there's a prayer that's recognized in this. When we come to God, we can be at rest. Accepting God is is pivotal when hostility is pervasive. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. Yes. I mean, think about this. And peace is seen in the sustenance from the Lord. We can read about this in 2 Samuel 17. You can write this down and look at it later. And throughout that whole section in, in 2 Samuel, we see the reality of this in David's life. But he laid down. He slept. He got up. He awoke. And he had a right thinking. These are four things that are absolutely huge. You get them right from the text. You can see that there's no complication there. It's real simple verbiage. The reality is that he laid down and he went to sleep. I've told people many times, I am either very uh, unaware of the problems around me or I've got a great trust in God because when my head hits the pillow, my wife gets no more yeses from me. I am out. I'm out cold. I, I rest. And, and I'd like to contribute that to the washing of my mind with the Word of God, understanding who He is. I, I, I want to think that, but I also think I'm just sometimes pretty ignorant of what's going on around me too. But the reality is, David finds himself laying down. And I, and I think he can do and have that peace because he's seen the problem, he's praised God, he understands who He is, which are great ingredients for, for prayer, right? And, and he gets to a place where he can have peace, and he lays down, he sleeps, he rests, and then we're told that, 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 that he has, he has um, sustained him. He can, he can sort of get up and go forward. In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says this. It says, For his anger is but for a moment, speaking of God. His favor is for a lifetime. Speaking of God, the psalmist does. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. I think mornings ought to be a time when we wake up having confessed our sins from the previous day and get up with the forgiveness and moving forward in peace with God. I love mornings. And a dark cup of coffee. Thinking. He had the right thinking here. Uh, we, we find um, in here that he's not going to be afraid. Um, I, I love the reminder we have in Matthew 10. When we see in Matthew 10, 28, we have this great reminder from God about the greatness of, of who He is and where our concentration level needs to be as it relates to problems. In Matthew 10, 28, 
we read that we are not to fear. There's a command here. Do not fear those who, who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, what? Fear Him. Fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? The recognition of the greatness of God needs to propel us forward in peace, understanding who is in control. It was the same type of thinking that we find in Numbers chapter 10.35. The same kind of way in which the nation of Israel came out and the way in which Moses would recognize the greatness of God. When it came about, it says... When the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. David had a righteous direction because he knew that his paths, his path had been established by God to be the rightful king, so he could move forward and take back the place. And whatever the commission of the nation of Israel, and no matter what the commission of the church of God today, she can move forward with those marching orders, knowing that God is with her. Take my life, but do your work. My life is not measured in time, but in eternity with the one who holds all things. Then peace, not only is peace seen in the sustenance from the Lord, but peace is seen in the strength of the Lord. We need to capitalize again upon the significance of God. Notice what David says in this this section. Rise, verse 7, O Lord, save me, O God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. He sees Dave, David sees him as being the Savior. David recognizes God, one who delivers both physical and spiritual, as the church must do today. That God will deal with the wicked. It's interesting when we see these types of words that are used here. A slap on the cheek. What is that? Well, Dale, if you slap me on the face, I'm going to be totally embarrassed. Not only will I wear your hand upon my face the rest of the day, but you have just treated me like a young one. It's a slap. That's an expression. That's a slap in the face. A verbal abuse many times is called a slap in the face. This is, this is the kind of idea there. It's, it's an insolence towards one. But the idea of breaking teeth, what is that? That could refer back to David's days when a young man, what did he do with bears and lions and tigers? Oh my, what did he do with them? He broke their teeth. That's absolutely right. He actually defeated them with his bare hands. And so to remove the fangs of a predator is to remove the bite or the danger of that predator. And so that's what it's saying is, God, you will take care of the dangers, the hostilities, the hostile ones with trust in you. Peace is seen in the strength of the Lord. He deals with the wicked. Salvation is God's plan. He wants to deliver His people. That's His desire. He will rescue them. What He desires for them to do is to trust in Him. The peace won't come unless you trust in Him. You can praise Him and you can recognize your problem. But if you sit still with that and you don't move forward in the direction that God has called you to go in, you will not be successful in what He's called you to be. David had to get back on that throne and Absalom had to get off of it. And that's exactly what happens. And we see him do that. And yet we see him, oh, study the character of David through this time on your own. 
and see the salvation and deliverance of the nation of Israel in this time of turmoil. But study, church, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which delivers not just the physical body. We pray for health and well-being, but there's less prayer and less petitioning of God for physical and more on the spiritual. It is God who desires to save. And His redemptive work that He's done is done through Christ who lived that perfect life and enthroned Himself through the cross of Calvary. This is the message of the Gospel and the hope. This is the deliverance of all all totality of Scripture. Coming back to the idea that salvation is found through one name. Under heaven, given amongst men, whereby you must be saved. Folks, there's hostility around you all the time. You are facing hostility right now, whether you know it or not. It might rear its ugly head, but your biggest problem, if you are in the place of Christ right now, is God is your judge. Folks, David knew who was king of his life. Do you know who's king of your life? Do you have the ability to praise God like David did? Do you have peace that only comes through knowing Him? That He is your Savior? Are you confident today in the hostilities of life to go to God and let Him deal with the outcome and you'll praise Him no matter what? Are you confident if today was your last day of hostility that He would embrace you as, your, as His own? The Bible tells us to, to believe and you will be saved. The idea is that Jesus is Lord and that He died and rose again. That He is Lord. In our Sunday school class we learn He's a despot. He's the one in control. Is He the Lord of your life like He was for David? If He's not, be like David. Trust Him. Come to Him. Find Him to be your greatest need, not only a day of hostility, but in the day of judgment. So that when God says to you, what sh- why shall I let you into my heaven? You can say, you shouldn't. But because of what Christ did on the cross, will you accept me? Do that now, so that you can be assured then, on the judgment day of Christ. It will come. Don't let that hostility be between you and God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray thank you so much for your word and all the contents of your truths, the redemption of David through this psalm, to see your salvation, to trust in your ways, to see how you are the one to deliver, to continue to keep your people established. And we know that that points to a greater, more significant salvation of your people for your kingdom eternal. We're the, we're the perfect David, where the Lord Jesus Christ will sit enthroned forever because of his finished work on the cross of Calvary. Thank you so much that we can, in times of, of trouble though, come to you. Find this example in the life of David to see our problems but praise you through them and go to you and that will give us peace, rest, and promises um, for the rest of the days of our life. No matter what we might face, knowing that you're enthroned forever. We pray in his name. Amen.
opportunity this morning to remember the Lord's death and resurrection.